Hello and welcome to the second episode of Jivecast, uh, the Jive Aces podcast. We are on a train from our hometown to London to see our good friend Cassidy Jansen tonight in Bush Hall and we thought we'd uh, kill a few minutes by doing the second episode. So I'm with Ken at the moment and we are going to discuss his personal musical uh, influences and how they came about and how they are related. So hello Ken. Hello Alex. <laughs> we do nice know Nice to meet you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on a train. Yeah. It's a bit noisy in the background again as usual because the only time we get to do these things are when we're travelling somewhere with lots of stuff going on. So Please excuse the beeping and station announcements and uh, ticket inspectors. Hey. Uh, we got a lot of uh, nice response to the first episode, actually. Good. Uh, people really dig in the stories. The ferry journey. The ferry journey, indeed. Yeah. And uh, if you haven't yet subscribed or left us a comment or a review, please do so, as long as it's good, because that helps other people find it. So we're going to kick this off. Where, where does it all start, Ken? Who is the main man that got you into early forms of music, Americana. Yeah, so basically my, my musical journey as a kid, when it was basically, the, it was like um, mid-70s, so most people were listening to uh, the, you know, the outbreak of punk uh, yeah, and pop music like that. I, I, I was never really into it. I basically used to listen to my mum and dad's uh, 45s and 78s, you know, play them on a Sunday afternoon after, you know, after the bath when you were a kid and stuff. And um, I just fell in love with Elvis Presley. Basically, he was the king and always will be the king for me. Um, how, how did you first discover like your well, first Elvis record or like what? Yeah, the first thing, like, first first record I ever heard was um, King Creole, and it's now or never, which both were on forty fives. My parents had bought at was the it, time. Was that separate records or an A and B side? Separate. Right. King Creole was fifty eight, and uh, it's now or never was was uh, nineteen sixty, and I was just in a box of assorted forty fives. But when I played those, they sort of stuck out to me so much of the man's voice, his charisma, the personality that came through those records. I just yeah. thought. What is this? Who is this man? So, I still, you know, even at the age of, I must have been eight, nine at the time. Yeah. I started digging around and trying to find more um, music by him. And obviously, at that time, there was no YouTube or, or nothing like that. So, I used to go out to old record stores. You mean you or, actually uh, had to make an effort? Yeah, actually, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, I had to use the feet to go. And um, my mum and dad would tell me stories about, you know, when they first heard Elvis on the radio in the 56 and stuff. And um, so, I started to, to indulge myself into looking into. Uh, albums and EPs and extended plays and stuff I could find in junk shops or re- most record shops at the time would have a, a large Elvis uh, selection. Did you also collect like the memorabilia, like the annuals and that, were you into it that? Oh no, not totally. I mean, from the age of say eight to sixteen, I was an Elvis fanatic. I mean, I, right. I, I went to conventions. I had every single um, released album that he, he made in England, mainly re- recopies. I didn't have the originals. Um, but my whole life musically was just based around Elvis. I mean, everything from from the uh, Sun Records right up to the seventies. I mean, at that time, I loved it all. My my favourite period is obviously the pre pre Army fifty four to fifty eight, but also like the early sixties, sixty to sixty two, where like maybe not as rock and rolly as hard hitting, but I just love the arrangements and his voices at the peak at that time. I just yeah. I think it's great. He'd matured yeah. into even though the music was moving away from rockabilly or yeah. what's known as rockabilly rock and roll. Yeah. Him as a like his maturity as a performer had come into his own at that time, and he really sort of totally. grown into. Totally, I mean, he had, he had certain songwriters, Levin Stroller in the fifties, and uh, Otis Blackwell in the in the, in the sixties, who, who basically wrote for him, and you could tell that they, they, the, the song, the structure, are perfect for his voice, and 
I think that, that early 60s vocally for yeah. me is, is the best of it. So, uh, yeah. what kind of tracks? Uh, that would be like anything from she, he's, She's Not You, It's Now or Never Again, which was obviously the biggest hit. Yeah. Um, Our Best Friend, the whole of the Elvis's back album, GI Blues album, and then some of the early. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of critics, a lot of fans even sort of uh, criticise these early 60s soundtracks as being just like throwaway songs. Right, but if you yeah. listen to things from Kid Galahad or. Follow that dream. They're all great songs. Really good songs. Fantastic. Yeah. King Creole was slightly earlier oh, before yeah. the army, but and that's always cited as his favourite, his, his own favourite film, oh, and, and right. probably everyone Elvis fans' favourite film for acting. Soundtrack's fantastic. You've got the whole backdrop of New Orleans. So for the, for the as a drive race, it's basically you know an ideal Elvis setting. It's kind of got an interesting mixture of uh, it's like rock and roll, but with the New Orleans jazz mixture but it came together in a different way than like our other influences like Louis Prima which was also rock and roll and New Orleans jazz exactly what, what, with the, with the um, King Corral soundtrack you've got Elvis's regular band Scotty Moore um, Bill Black on bass etc but it's also got New Orleans jazz players like uh, Teddy Buckner on, um, on trumpet yeah. so you've got sort of like the the, the rhythm section of the rock and roll but also with these horns that flare over the, the place excitement, and excitement yeah. it's fantastic yeah Interesting. Well, let's have a let's have a little listen to uh, some of that uh, as much as we can get away with the uh, fair use. Yeah, a bit king Creole. Here we go. He sings a song about a crowd at home. He sings a song about a jelly roll. He sings a song about a pork and greens. He sings some blues about a New Orleans. You know, it's gone, gone, gone. Jumping like a catfish on a pole. Yeah. You know, it's gone, gone, gone. The chicken king that is fantastic. So, uh, progressing on from the, well, re- <laughs> I don't know what's the yeah. word. <laughs> not regressing, but well, basically, yeah, Regre- so, yeah, regressing. I guess yeah. it is regressing. So, so I said from so from the age of Opposite like of progress. from from the ages age of like. Well, the first I said the first album I, I ever got was because I was so much into Elvis. Um, for Christmas, my parents bought me the '68 comeback special, which right. actually basically does celebrate its its fiftieth year this year. Um, and um, hold on, no, last year. Last year, yeah, it, was, it was all big. It was big. Sixty-eight, sixty-eight. Yeah, now we're in nineteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. <laughs> it's yeah, last year. But that was that was the first album I had, obviously for Christmas. I think I must have received it back in about 1971, 72. Right. And um, it's just yeah, yeah, you know, it was after his many years of uh, not performing live, and to hear him back on the stage of a live audience, and uh, you know, you just you can see him. Letting, let, him, let himself go free with his with uh, the performance, his vocals. It's, yeah. it's just a fantastic period. Yeah, and he definitely but, you can definitely tell when you watch it also on video. You can definitely tell he's really into performing. Like you can see, he's like it's like a certain freedom that he, he was missing, I guess, for a while when he was stuck in the movies. Exactly, the exactly. Yeah, if you, if you watch the, the movie soundtracks or the films, you know, where he's miming to to the tracks, but when you get to see him live again after not doing it for. For like seven years, he's, yeah. he's, he's wild and he's just as good as he was in the fifties. And then, and then musically though, after you, so you, you you went through this Elvis phase, which what well, phase? It's never ending. It's yeah, a never yeah, ending yeah, phase. Yeah, but yeah. you broadened your uh, musical scope from there on. How did you go then? Where, where, and how did you go from there musically? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because after after I was actually basically just mainly into Elvis. It was like Elvis, 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 just Elvis. And then my sort of t- musical journey split into two ways. The way one was, what did Elvis listen to? What influenced Elvis? I found that interesting. But also, my own tastes seemed to sort of dovetail with that because even though I was listening to Elvis, 
I found Dean Martin. And I loved I loved his songs, songs, his vocal, his styling was great. Then I realised that Elvis's favourite singer was Dean Martin. Right. And again, as one step back, I just loved Bing Crosby. I found out that Dean Martin's favourite singer was Bing Crosby. Right. And it sort of, even though my, I didn't do it because of that, I just found that my my um, earlier track of finding influence of my favourite singers yeah. lined exactly with what I was finding myself because. Bing's favourite singer yeah. was Al Jolson and I just found that I loved Al Jolson's personality his way of putting a song across yeah. was fantastic so that, that was one, one um, branch, branch of it yeah. went off exactly but the other branch was what actually was going on at the time of Elvis you had just straight head rock and roll you had before, before we get into that go, concentrating on that one sort of going through back through the sort of crooners yeah. jazzers early early crooners yeah the crooners mainly the singers yeah. Dean Martin yeah. what, what is a song that you you, you would say is an example that shows the progression from Dean to Dino to Elvis that you that you can hear. Dino's song that really hit me first of all was Memories Are Made of This, which was a right. big hit in 1956. But the one that I'd say probably that was um, Elvis's influence and the one I like a lot is um, You Belong to Me. There was a song, a ballad that I know Elvis particularly liked that, that Dino sung, which is a fantastic. It just shows his voice off from about 51, 52. It's called. A, you belong to me. Massive, massive hit for Joe Stafford as well. Well, well let's. Uh, we can take a little bit of a listen to the a, a small section of that, so you can just hear uh, how that would have uh, influenced Elvis. Watch the sunrise on a tropical. See the pyramids along the Nile. Just remember, darling, all. You belong to me. Fantastic. That's you can definitely hear the uh, the progression there and and what he would have taken from that, like vocally. Yeah. Um, obviously, I was went in a different direction later on, but I guess that's the same with any artist. And they you begin by copying your idols, and then as you mature and grow in confidence and, and you mix other influences and create yourself it creates a new thing new genre and, exactly, yeah, new exactly, genre exactly. new style your own style yeah. and um, that is I guess that is the nature of musical evolution yeah and I'd say Elvis was the, probably the biggest catalyst of that if you listen to Elvis's actual um, original demo recordings it's, yeah. it's, it's just basically country it's country music and then when he decided to mix that with the R&B of the blues singers it became rockabilly but you can hear though both influences together brought out a new music form because before uh-huh. that, before Elvis, there was no, nobody had that. You had you had hillbilly and rockabilly in a slighter form, yeah. and you had rhythm blues. and blues. Yeah. But you didn't have the two together, and Elvis was the catalyst that brought those two together, which was basically a, a, a new form of music. There's nothing new, like it. A new recipe almost. Wasn't exactly, it? exactly. It was almost like the perfect storm of ingredients at that point. It's, to me personally, many people is, would argue differently, but nothing like that's ever happened again no so, sorry since no. happened since then of quite the same um, creating such an iconic sound I'm sure people would argue differently yeah of course, of course <laughs> but, but, yeah. but from my taste yeah. um, that was the or, last or, yeah I think nobody's had, had a, a, so effect, such influential effect, exactly, yeah, exactly. That, that particular uh, recipe of ingredient musical ingredients is so like because that is the basis of all modern totally. rock and then moving into pop, you know, not probably so much the electronic stuff, but it really is the basis for all modern totally. uh, popular music. Totally, yeah, yeah. 
And then, okay, so then going back from Dino, the next step back was... Was Bing, was Bing Crosby, because uh-huh. Dino's... And you can hear, definitely hear in, in Dino's phrasing and his approach to songs, it's totally a Bing, not copy, but a Bing influence, but yeah. with his own voice. And, and may, again, maybe he started out as a... When, when he was a young he man... He certainly did, yeah. ...emulating yeah. his... I trying to emulate his idols yeah. and then moving into his own, own thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and and Bing obviously was like the first real worldwide superstar as yeah. a, as a singer, and he had it totally had his own um, approach, his relaxed manner, but but such a great voice that cut through and you know warmed the hearts of millions. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what's a song that you would say you can hear the progression from Bing to Dino, like a, a Bing song that you would hear that stepping stone. So yes, yeah, so it's a song that Bing recorded during the early forties, which was a great favourite of mine as uh, when I discovered uh, his voice and stuff. Was "You Are My Sunshine," and you can tell the country how much he liked country music on yeah. this. But also, he said that, that, that could easily have fitted into like uh, the repertoire of um, of Elvis, of Elvis or, Dino, yeah, or, or uh, any of the exactly, following artists. Yeah. Also, also on the country artists, you know, because it was a massive hit for, for Bing. But, you know, um, Bob Wills would have done it. You could hear any of those sort of... Eddie Arnold could have done it, those sort of things. Yeah. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms. When I awoke, dear, I was mistaken. And I hung my head. Was being the earliest uh, no, it was actually on one, that chain? Or? No, it was actually one step earlier, which, which most people might think corny or might think oh, joking or whatever. But Hal Jolson, even though it was Bing's main influence, you know, yeah. just, you're talking about the 19, 1911, 1912, up to 1929 when he made the first sound, he was like the most popular in the world at that time. He had such a vibrant personality and way of putting across a song you couldn't you can't help but like it I mean yeah. yes you might think the recordings are corny or whatever but if you just take it for what he actually the, the, the emotion and the enthusiasm in all of his songs yeah. you can see the way he was such a big, big star yeah, yeah. yeah I mean definitely when you, if you watch the film The Jolting Story it kind of it kind of gives that across quite well doesn't it quite acts it quite well where he uh, yeah, if you just shows take, his love for performing basically. exactly and again it also that maybe doesn't come across a lot but again he did listen to a lot of black bands at that time the early yeah. jazz bands Dixieland bands and stuff and a song that I think that I loved at that time and always have done I still love it today is the anniversary song Written, written for the film, actually written for the film, uh, Jolson story, but the depth of voice and the emotions are waltz. But listen to this, it's a, it's a fantastic uh, performance. Yeah. Fantastic. Let's have a little listen to that then. Oh, how we danced on the night we were wed, we vowed out to love, though a word wasn't said. Now, earlier you mentioned, uh, before you we went down that path, that the second path, or the concurrent path of yeah. your musical, you, you had, you're going back, the first path being going back from Elvis to Dino to Bing to Jolson and all the other eyes that were connected yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. On the contemporary side, uh, I guess yeah. during the 50s through the 60s, or just in, it sort of stopped in the 50s? It stopped in the 50s. I really didn't, really didn't find anything... I mean, there's been good music all made ever since, yeah. all through. But for me, that really, really, really strikes a, a chord in my heart and emotion is anything pre-'62, 
I just love that sort of music. Anything after I find lost, lost to heart, people again would disagree and say, yeah, it was fantastic music made in the 60s and 70s, yeah, 80s. Yeah, of course it's uh, all understood. subjective. But, but, but personally, I found, find that music lost something during the early 60s. Yeah. And for me, I progressed backwards and found that, that the music from the 40s, 50s, even 30s, had a lot more soul, heart and um, warmth in, it, in, it, in, the, in, the, in the performances at least. Yeah. Yeah. And so who would be the, uh, like, uh, around that time, like from that period? So I guess we're talking early to mid-50s to early 60s. That's a short, you know, it's less than a decade of... But, again, you know, there's so many songs that are recorded in a decade. Yeah, I mean, but you, it's a relatively short period you, you, you have all the, all the well-known artists like Little Richard and uh, That's Domino and yeah. all, all, all those great rock and roll artists. Bill Haley. Bill Haley, of course, is fantastic. Best, best dance music of all time. Uh, and also it covers all genres. You've got country, you've got hillbilly, you've got rockabilly, you've got soul. And one of my favourite performers that came out, and I really, probably the second, second most influential song that I liked it was Beat Petite by Jackie Wilson right. I heard that when I was about 12 or 13 for the first time and I first of all thought it was Elvis I thought it was like really? what a, that's an unknown song but when they said Jackie Wilson I never could quite get the title Beat Petite I didn't, yeah, didn't when they said it I didn't make sense it, yeah. so I tracked it down bought it on a 45 on an old Brunswick repro, um, reissue yeah. and I, pl- I must have played it 20 times on the trot when I first got it I just wow. loved it and, and even though you know, years later it became a hit in the in the in the eighties when they oh, did that they little, did the little, little plasticine, yeah, I remember that. And it's like been a dance hall favourite in rock and roll clubs ever since. It's like, that's a classic performance. That's funny because my my dad actually introduced me to Jackie Wilson because he's a massive fan, and he his one of his favourite songs uh, is Higher and Higher. He fantastic, keeps getting fantastic. us, to, he keeps trying to get uh, convince us to do it. It's yeah. slightly out of our genre, I think, yeah. but it is a fantastic song, and yeah. I've always thought from that point. Um, regardless of the genre, Jackie Wilson's voice is one of the most powerful and spot-on voices of like male, male, totally one agree. of my favourite male voices of all time. Totally because agree. he's so like open, like in a similar way to uh, Sammy Davis Jr. He's got a similar quality of openness, yeah. not say it sounding, but as a similar quality. Where his voice is just this huge. Like his throat must be like a meter wide when he's singing because he belts out this, these notes. Yeah. And uh, I remember very young, my dad playing some uh, some stuff to me. Yeah, both both, really both those artists, as you say, they didn't have restrictions. Yeah, they like wasn't like oh they can only do this or do that. They could they could like no belt out a ballad, belt out a rock and roll tune. Yeah, both did great Christmas songs. They both, yeah. both they can basically do anything because they've got such a a, um, a width of talent and, and vocal expression ability, and Billy. Yeah. But they never held it back. They could, you know, using the both. They both let every performance. They would just let it go. There's no, no stopping them. They were both yeah. fantastic. Any particular track by, uh, well, Rupertie, I guess. Rupertie, yes, yes. Yeah, let's have a few. Listen to a few seconds of that to see where what was happening at the time. What year yeah. is, is 57. that? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Okay, here's Rupertie, fifty-seven. She's so fine, fine, fine. She's so fine. Vocal gymnastics, yeah. There. And we've we've actually we've done it with a friend of ours, Cy Cranston, great performer. He's he uh, does that a similar kind of style with exactly, his band, and we, we've performed yeah. that song with him. He's been compared yeah. as a yeah. to uh, as like a modern day 
Jackie Wilson. That's true. Really. And also another tie in there with Jackie Wilson and Elvis, obviously, as we were talking about originally, was they were both great friends. And uh-huh. Elvis, if you've ever heard the um, Million Dollar Quartet recordings, the, yeah. the jam session, you'll hear Elvis saying that he went to see the uh, Dominoes perform and the, the lead singer, who he didn't realise at the time was Jackie Wilson, yeah. uh, covered his version of um, Don't Be Cruel. Right. And, you, and he plays about of it, and Elvis actually does Jackie's version when he re- when he recorded it for the um, Ed Sullivan show a few weeks later. Yeah. So, so yeah, that all ties in nicely because uh, you can tell they must have been good friends. As we know, uh, Van Morrison also was a big fan of uh, Jackie Wilson. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah he's a, that Van Morrison was a great um, encyclopedia of knowledge of, of, of rock and roll history, yeah. He's uh, not trying to drop a name here, but we have sat many a night talking to him about the history of uh, Americana music oh, yeah, and yeah. rhythm and blues and stuff. Yeah. And uh, he has a very in-depth knowledge. Yeah, yeah, especially the blue side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, any other artists that you'd like to give a uh, honourable mention to? Oh no, there's, there's plenty. I mean, uh, uh, that... maybe some lesser-known ones. Well, yeah, you got the mid-fifties. Uh, you know, like I said before, the great rock and rollers. Um, you know, even the white guys like Eddie Cock and Gene. Vin- I mean, Gene Vincent's first two albums probably the best rock and roll ever made. Right. Uh, ones with Cliff Gallop on guitar. Fantastic music. Hot. Screaming, screaming uh, vocals and yeah. just exciting music. One, one that I've, you, I don't know if it's particularly uh, on your scope, it probably is, but one I've heard cited by many musicians that are into the music now is the Johnny Burnett stuff. Oh, again, again, when I was, um, I think I was 14, when I, I was in a, a local mu- uh, news agent that had just a rack of LPs, yeah. and they had this LP called the Rock and Roll Trio. It didn't even say, no, I said to Johnny Benton and the Rock and Roll Trio, and I thought, I know his song Dreaming, which was a big pop hit in the 1960s, but right. this looked earlier. I, I, I'd never heard it before, and I didn't actually know what it was, but I thought just because it was, it was something like 49 pence or something at the time, <laughs> an album. So I bought it, I took it home, and I was just blown away. I mean, I've never heard such raw rockabilly. I mean, that compares with the uh, Gene Vincent recordings, but also it's got its own feeling because Johnny Benton's more of a, uh, country singer and so you've got the hiccup in vocals and that but it's also got this fantastic rhythm section which I didn't realise till years later was the great Grady Martin on guitar yeah. which is just like, probably the best who turns know, out was on 90% of all, of all, <laughs> of all, of all recordings exactly yeah. yeah but I'd say the Johnny Burnett rock and roll trio recordings are amongst the best rockabilly ever made I mean yeah. fantastic fantastic tracks yeah. and then switching gears slightly who like were you were you able to see any of these guys or gals live. My well, funny thing is, was, was I, I was big. You know, I was on the rock and roll scene for years, and I'd go and see people. I mean, my favourite uh, rockabilly I ever saw live, who I thought had the right, still had the sound, was uh, Sonny Fisher, right. who did uh, Rockin' Daddy and Pink and Black. Only, only had um, sort of twelve songs, I think, maybe not even that released, but all of them became rockabilly classics. And I saw him at the Royalty in 1981. Wow. Even though he had uh, the band were like more of a uh, Ted rock band backing him, he still had the voice and, and yeah. he, he, he was fantastic. Still had the energy. He was he was great. Yeah, but I, then after that, I, my my my, my um, emphasis changed more to like R and B and stuff, and so I, I stopped going to the clubs, and I didn't see even though like Rose Maddox came over and a lot of other these uh, fantastic rock performers, but I didn't actually see them live, which was no, a, which, no, I, which I wish I'd yeah, wish I had yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the time when we were in, in America and we went to that bookshop, uh, Big Borders Bookshop? This mm. was about 20-something, 20 22, 23 years ago, one of our yeah. first trips to America, and we uh, saw a poster in the window. The Light Crust Doughboys had just been there that yeah. morning yeah. or that afternoon, and we were, yeah. we'd missed them by an hour, and uh, they were 
Were they Bob Wills first? Band? Yeah, well, Light Trust Doughboys is, is funny. If you, if you go back to the history of Western Swing, which became Hillbilly, which became Rockabilly, Light Trust Doughboys were basically a, um, a band hired or put together by a um, bread company uh, to advertise, do live radio shows, like 15 minutes. And, yeah, yeah. And, and do a few songs on a 15 minute radio show every afternoon, I think, or whatever, during uh, like 1931, 1932. And then at, uh, Bob Wills, the great king of Western Swing, and um, Milton Brown were part of this early band. And after they both left and formed their own bands, the Light Cross Boys become a larger band. Instead of being a three or four piece, went to about an eight or nine piece band and did some fantastic Western Swing. And a, a, and a sort of a, a lineup of that band has, has been up right up to the present day. And it's like we sadly missed them in Texas. I know, but they had some of the really old surviving members. Of they do, like, they did. Uh, yeah, I don't know yeah. if they were the original, original, yeah. but they, they'd been around a long time. Yeah, probably not around now, but they were. No, are, no, that, was, they, that they was 20, yeah, yeah early yeah, 90s. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, mid 90s. Right, so to wrap it up then, who would you say. I don't know, what, what can we say to wrap it up? Well, the thing is that with, with, with uh, all the music, the music journey that I've been on um, for, for favourite types of music, which I said, like I said goes back to Bing and uh, Jolson on one side, but then you've got the Western Swing and also the early jazz. A lot of the um, early jazz players, like uh, early 1920s Louis and uh, a lot of these uh, swing bands, they're all big influences because even though diverse in style yeah. they all had this one thing I find all this sort of music had was a fantastic sense of rhythm yeah. and drive mainly done by the double bass but it's, uh, not bias not bias story yeah, yeah. But, but they all have music that's really from the heart and I think that's the, that's the main um, thread that runs through all, all these sort of musics from, from swing R&B rockabilly into blues and, and uh, even early soul yeah. is the feeling that the performers put across, which I, I think is lacking in today's music with yeah, the electronic. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing cynical about it. It was before the days, it was like they were still making music for the sake of the music itself, like the music was the core. Nowadays, it's almost like music is made to uh, fill a, like a perceived uh, gap in the market. Yeah. Or a, a niche that will make money. Like, it's... It's the, 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 the music itself is the secondary True. concern. Yeah. It's it's the marketing angle is the primary concern. That's not obviously there are a lot of artists around that are creating stuff that they love, but as a general um, as as a generality for the music business as a whole, that does seem yeah. like the trend. Totally. Like the norm. Totally. Yeah, and just to go back to how much you said about some obscure people, in in, in my uh, collection yeah. is there's people like Merrily Moore, a fantastic boogie uh, country player yeah. who influenced Jerry Lee Lewis. All these people were, were like unsung heroes, uh, both the, uh, the, the scenes, the um, country scene and the rhythm and blues scene. Roy Brown, Rowney Harris, people that made fantastic recordings but uh, who have never been heard by the, uh, the man on the street. And it, I think that's a bit of a, a thing we should try to put to rights. And through the Jive Aces, we do try and bring more uh, slightly obscure uh, songs and uh, We've got to keep it balanced, really, though. So like, exactly. You, you exactly. don't want to play the same old, same old, but you want to... So we write our own tunes, but you want to bring something new, but then you don't want to be you don't want to alienate everyone, so it's like, oh, I don't know any of these songs either, so there is... No, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then we, but, I mean, we also try... I mean, we have... I've always said we're extremely... We're extremely diverse within a narrow band. Out of all the bands on the scene, I think we do sort of span across more influences than most, so. because we'll play... A New Orleans jazz song followed by 
50 Rhythm, Rhythm and Blues song followed by um, an early 60s crooner Frank Sinatra Dean Martin crooner yeah. um, and then do like a, a big band a Glenn Miller big band swing number uh, you don't, there's not many bands around no. now that have that quite that diverse uh, a range they're all related musical totally styles related, but I think most other bands are, are a bit more more narrow but we like to try and do do stuff that we love but make it our own at the same exactly. time so it exactly. becomes Jive Ace's style in yeah. a way I guess yeah that's pretty much it for this episode. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for uh, chatting with me, Ken. <laughs> almost at the station. We're almost at Victoria now, so we're going to have to turn this thing off, pack it up and jump off the train. Yeah. We're going to see Cassidy tonight. So I uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ken's Musical Influences. We are uh, always out and about on the road, so check the website at jiveaces.com for all our gigs. and uh, Check us out on the socials. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube or on all of those to search for Jive Aces please uh, subscribe to this podcast let us know in the comments reviews if there's any particular subject you'd like us to discuss pretty much to do with the band <laughs> not any subject you know uh, cooking in the Himalayas probably isn't going to be that interesting because we don't know much about that uh, but anything else to do with the band and we'll try and uh, see what we can do and thanks very much for joining us see you next time bye bye